On Saturday, leftists around the nation took to the streets to sound off about their new religion. Science! No, not testable hypotheses and well-constructed experiments. Science! You know, like gay rights and abortion and global redistributionism and dying polar bears and stuff. Leading the charge was eminent scientific revolutionary Bill Nye the Science Guy, a mechanical engineering degree holder who got famous as a children's television presenter. Nye was a keynoter at the March for Science, where he said, quote, We are marching today to remind people everywhere, our lawmakers especially, of the significance of science for our health and prosperity. What sort of science was Nye standing up to defend? Budget increases for the EPA and the National Institutes of Health, of course. He explained how all of this was scientific and not political. He said, somewhere along the way, there's developed this idea that if you believe something hard enough, it's as true as things discovered through the process of science. And I will say that's objectively wrong. Belief isn't science. This is a good point. Unfortunately, Nye then followed up his widely praised appearance at the March for Science by unleashing a video that destroyed the internet from his news show, Bill Nye Saves the World. He trotted out crazy ex-girlfriend actress Rachel Bloom to sing a very special song. Those are Nye's words. She warbled, and here's the dramatic read. My vagina has its own voice, not vocal cords, a metaphorical voice. Sometimes I do a voice for my vagina. Cause my sex junk is so oh oh oh. Much more than either or or or. Power bottom or power top. Versatile love may have some butt stuff. It's evolution. Ain't nothing new. There's nothing taboo about a sex stew. This is real. This happened. If they're alive, I'll date them. Channing or genitate them. I'm down for anything. Don't box in my box. Science! If these all seems rather unscientific to you, if you wonder why a talking vagina with obvious self-control problems is being trotted out by the self-proclaimed science guy, you're not alone. You're rational. You might even be using some scientific thinking. But this is demonstrative of the left's take on science. Science is actually just the name for anything the left likes. Worried about the humanity of an unborn child? Concerned that fetuses have their own blood types and their own DNA? Stop it! You're quoting science, not science! Wondering how it is that a genetic male is actually a woman? You're worrying about science, not science! This is the dirty little secret of the left's sudden embrace of science. It's not science that they support, but religion. They support that which they believe but cannot prove and do not care about proving. Bill Nye isn't interested in a scientific debate about global warming. How much is occurring, the measurement techniques at issue, the sensitivity of the climate to carbon emissions, the range of factors that affect the climate. He wants you to accept his version of the truth. Not just that global warming is happening, but that massive government intervention is necessary in order to avert imminent global catastrophe. Such government solutions aren't verifiably scientific. They're speculative. But that speculation has costs, particularly to the most impoverished people on the planet who benefit disproportionately from cheap carbon-based fuels. Even if you accept the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change estimate that sea levels will rise by two feet over the course of the rest of the century and the temperature will rise about seven degrees Fahrenheit, there is reason to question, as Oren Cass points out, whether or not massive government intervention is necessary or even justifiable. But the left refuses to acknowledge such questions. It makes you a denier to disagree with the left's conclusions, just as it makes you a cruel person to wonder whether gun control will actually lower the American murder rate. Science, in other words, is just a baton for the left. A decade ago, the left declared President Bush anti-science for his restrictions on the use of new federally funded fetal stem cell lines. They claimed that Bush hated science, that fetal stem cells were the wave of the future, that Bush was a moral ayatollah in the words of Senator Tom Harkin. Democrats ran on the promise that if Bush were thrown out of office in 2004, they'd make Christopher Reeve walk again using fetal stem cells. But it turned out fetal stem cells were unnecessary to scientific research. Scientists came up with an embryo-free process to produce genetically matched stem cells. As Charles Krauthammer, no religious fundamentalist and a guy who, by the way, is paralyzed, wrote at the time, rarely has a president so vilified from moral stance been so thoroughly vindicated. Why? Precisely because he took a moral stance. In other words, Bush didn't rely on science to give him his values. Nor should he have. 
Science is not capable of making value-laden decisions. There are plenty of OB-GYNs who know better than the most pro-life conservative just how complex life is in the womb, yet they will perform abortions. Science has not dictated their behavior. The Nazis were famously pro-science, declaring that science itself mandated the killing of the unfit for the strengthening of the race. Their racism was supposedly scientific. That's why the March for Science is such foolishness. If the march were simply focused on advocacy for increased EPA funding, that would be political, not scientific. If the marchers were demanding more funding for the NIH too, that too would be political, but with a stronger scientific component. But the March for Science was actually a march for science, the leftist religion. And that leftist religion isn't interested in science in the slightest. It's simplistic and simple-minded virtue signaling. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Okay, I have much more to say about science, and we'll also give you the update on what's going on with Ann Coulter at Berkeley. We'll give you the update on the healthcare negotiations, a lot going on in the news. But first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Blinds.com. So if you're one of these people who has a set of beat-up blinds that was left to you by the person who bequeathed you your apartment or your house, and you want to replace those blinds with something really, really nice, Blinds.com is the place to go. They are cheaper. They are better. They make it really easy for you. So if you're not sure what you want, you go to Blinds.com, you get a free online online design consultation. You send them pictures of your house. They send back custom recommendations from a professional for what will work with your color scheme and your furniture and specific rooms. They'll even send you free samples to make sure that everything that you see online looks just like it does in real life. And if you mismeasure or pick the wrong color, then blinds.com will remake your blinds for free. So if it's your screw up, they will still remake your blinds for free. Right now, if you go to blinds.com, promo code Ben, you get 20% off everything. And they have blinds that are really top notch. We're not talking about these cheap plastic blinds that you get at the local AMP. We're talking about blinds that you know are, are high quality. We're talking wood. We're talking, you know, they have tons of options. I've looked at them. I've, I've used them myself. Blinds.com, you get 20% off everything when you use that promo code Ben. They have faux wood blinds and cellular shades and roller shades and more. Again, blinds.com, promo code Ben for 20% off everything. Blinds.com, promo code Ben. Can't recommend them highly enough. They are a terrific company uh, and they do terrific work. Again, there's no risk. If you screw it up, you don't like what you got, you can always send it back. So uh, that is the, the wonderful thing about Blinds.com. They'll replace it if you screw up the measurements and they'll help you through the process all the way through. Okay, so the Democrats continue to harp about science and their new favorite science people are, obviously they love Caitlyn Jenner because Caitlyn Jenner is an, uh, Caitlyn Jenner is an, is an emissary for, for science, which is silly. Um, but the other person who's the emissary for science is Bill Nye the Science Guy, which just demonstrates you know, the left, which claims that it's just terrible. We have a celebrity president. The person that they are trotting out as their lead spokesperson for science is a guy with a mechanical engineering degree from Cornell right, in like 1979. That guy is the scientist who they think is the expert on all things scientific, and that means that Bill Nye is pushing his version of science. What does his version of science look like? Well, again, he has this idiotic show on Netflix uh, called Bill Nye Saves the World, and as I said yesterday, spoiler alert, he doesn't. Here is a segment from that horrible show in which he says that three-year-olds should be able to choose their own gender. By three or four, most kids identify with a gender, and it doesn't always match the sex they were assigned at birth. And a person's gender identity may change over their lifetime. And culture is getting us new ways to express all of this. How you dress, how you act and talk, how you present yourself to the world. It should be up to you. Sure, this might make things confusing for those who insist everyone pick an M or an F. But people, we have to listen to the science. And the science says we're all on a spectrum. Okay, science does not say you're on a spectrum of sex. 
when they say gender, see, this is what the left likes to do, and it's really, really stupid, okay? The left says that gender is a social construct, and what they mean by that is femininity and masculinity are a social construct. Here's the truth about that. There are certain aspects of masculinity that are certainly not a social construct. Higher levels of testosterone, average higher levels of violence by males than females. That is not a social construct. That is a biological reality, okay? So that is not an aspect of gender. That's more an aspect of sex. The left likes to conflate sex and gender. So they separate these two things. They say sex is your biology, and then they say that gender is a social construct that says you need to be masculine or you need to be feminine. Now, not a lot of people that I know actually care whether you act masculine or whether you act feminine, per se, but that's not choosing a gender, okay? That's just whether you ask ma- act masculine or feminine. Then what the left does is they say, your masculinity or femininity, we can now read back into your sex. So in other words, if you are a feminine man, right? If you're a man who's biologically male and you act feminine, maybe you're a woman. Okay, this is stupid and ascientific. There's no evidence for it at all. It is also evil to suggest that a three-year-old knows that, that they're going to choose a gender that is opposite of the one that they have. Okay, three-year-olds don't know anything. I know because I have a three-year-old. Three-year-olds do not know anything. It is your job as an adult to teach them about things that are complex and make the complex simple in ways that they can understand. And if when they hit 15, they're still having problems, then we can have a conversation about this. But this idea that three-year-olds are capable of choosing their gender is asinine. Anyone who has a three-year-old will tell you this. And it is cruel to a three-year-old to say to the three-year-old that you're going to be allowed to define your own essence of the world and you're going to be allowed to override your own biology. A three-year-old is not capable of doing that. And there is no science to support this. What the he has is anecdotal evidence saying that people who are 20 say, when I was three, I felt like a girl in a boy's body. Okay, that is not scientific evidence that there is a, some brain test we can run that determines you are actually a girl in a boy's body. There's no scientific evidence to that effect. The idea that he is saying this is purely anti-scientific. But again, it's a political agenda masquerading as science. I'm old enough to remember when Bill Nye was on t- my television explaining that sex was a, a function of chromosomes. And that was actual science. And now he's saying sex is a function of what's ever in your head, and it can change over time. Your gender can change over time. And again, the left likes to play this this word game where they say, well, we don't mean your sex can change over time. We mean your gender can change over time. And they say, what do you mean by that? And they say, well, it means you can be a woman. Okay, now you're talking about sex again. That's not the same thing. If you're going to separate out the two terms, you have to be very specific in how you use gender. If you mean that there can be a person who changes their behavior over time bucking particular stereotypes about feminine and masculine, that I'm sure is true because people do it every day. What is not true is that you can change your sex, and the left conflates the two after separating them out. They like to pretend that everything that is feminine is not linked to sex, and then they pretend that if you are masculine as a girl, that means that you must be actually secretly a man. Or you can choose to be a man, which is just as scientifically stupid. Three-year-olds should not choose their own gender. Parents who do this to their child are doing something evil to their children. Your goal in life is not to confuse your children. Your goal in life is to simplify things for your children. Again, three-year-olds are not capable of making these types of decisions. And damning a child to a lifetime of suffering is just cruel. The studies show that 8 in 10 kids who at any point suffer from any sort of gender identity issues grow out of that by the time they hit their teenage years. And what what he is saying is that we should tell all kids, 100 out of 100 kids, we should tell them all they can pick their sex. So now you're telling a bunch of three-year-olds, who are by nature dumb, that they can pick their sex. Okay, they can't. And it is a lie, 
And then beyond that lie, you're now confusing 103-year-olds. Let's, let's take it statistically. Let's even pretend that Bill Nye was right. Okay, let's pretend that it's biologically decided that you're a boy in a girl's body or some such nonsense, which is just not true. And again, there's no scientific evidence to suggest that you're a boy in a girl's body. In fact, even the people who say that brain scans show differences between transgender people and people who are not transgender, even those say that it is a transgender brain, but it does not mean that you have a woman's brain in a man's body. It just means that you have differences from the traditional male brain. That Even that is really scanty evidence, but that's the furthest that good scientists will go. And to say anything different is just not scientific. But let's take this statistically and assume that the left is even correct. Okay, so the transgender suicide rate over the course of a lifetime is 40%. 40%. Less than one person per 100 is going to be transgender in the United States. It's just it's very, very rare, okay? And it's getting more common now because it's become kind of trendy. And because if you're a teenager and you want attention, then you can do it. Or if you have doubts, then we have decided that we are going to promulgate those doubts into reality. So even if you're not just trying to do it for some nefarious reason, if you have doubts, we're now trying to reinforce those doubts as a society. But let's use the numbers on hand. So like say one out of a hundred kids is has gender identity disorder or gender dysphoria. Okay. Now you're talking about that kid having a 40% lifetime suicide rate. There's no evidence that that is mitigated in any significant way by society's acceptance of transgenderism. Now you're saying that, let's say that, that there are 100 kids who are told that they can pick their gender and 10 of those kids are now confused, right? Not even a hundred, 10 of those kids are now confused. And let's say that normally, according to those statistics, virtually all of them would grow out of this confusion. Virtually all of them would grow out of this confusion. But now you're reinforcing the confusion. So now let's say those 10 all say, I'm the other sex. So now you've taken a situation in which one kid had a transgender identity issue and has a 40% lifetime suicide rate. And you're now extending that to 10 kids. And let's even say that this new process lowers that one kid's rate of suicide attempt. Let's say that of uh, suicidality, let's say that it lowers it from 40% to 20%. Let's say it halves it. Okay, now if you've increased the number of people who are engaging in this particular in this particular problem by three, if you have confused three more kids, then you now have four kids. Let's not even take the ten. Let's say you now have four out of a hundred who have a twenty percent suicide rate, as opposed to one out of a hundred who has a forty percent suicide rate. You have not improved things, you've made things worse in terms of people who are suicidal, for example. Okay, this is just to take the statistical case. But again, there is no moral case for confusing your child. Sex differences are important. Reinforcing sex differences is important because if you don't want your child to suffer from tremendous cognitive dissonance, then the kid at least has to know about the standard and then later they can choose whether or not they want to engage in the standard. But the fact is the standard is the standard and the standard is not entirely constructed by society. It wasn't like every society in the world came up with the idea that men were going to be soldiers and women were going to be mothers. Okay, There's a lot more to that than just societies deciding things. So this is all stupidity. But again, it's not science. It is politics. And Bill Nye did another one of these things. Again, this show is just so awful. I don't know how Netflix even greenlit it, except they're a bunch of leftists. Bill Nye ran a segment about sexuality of ice cream. Yes, really. Of course, enlightened and forward thinking, but not everyone sees it this way. But there are lots of flavors to sexuality. Right, why are we here, Vanilla? Damn! Oh, this again? Come on. Chillax, ah! <laughs> Strobs. Settle, everybody. Settle. Now, I've spoken to some of you about my theories on the nature of being ice cream. Which have no basis in science. It's the science of feelings. And as vanilla, I feel that I am the most natural of the ice creams. And therefore, the rest of you should just go ahead and also be vanilla. Oh. It's the one true flavor. <laughs> no! 
Pause it there for a second. So obviously the implication is here. There are a bunch of religious fanatics who want everybody to be straight. And if they're not straight, then then we're going to force them to be straight. Okay, a couple of things that are, are worth noting here. The reality is that biologically speaking, it is more conducive to evolution and the and the species for people to be heterosexual. This does not mean that everybody has to be heterosexual. We should use the government to force people, God forbid, to, to engage in sexual activity of some sort. But this idea that it is that that there the that all sexual all sexual behavior is created equal in terms of its benefit to the species is just not true that's just not true that is a feelings driven position but again they're going to push this idea again i i'm i'm waiting to hear who out there is saying that everybody needs to be straight i don't think that every like there're not a lot of people out there saying everybody needs to be straight there are people who are religious i'm a religious person i may think that it is sinful for people to engage in particular types of sexual congress but that's my prerogative. You may think I'm wrong. Congratulations. It's a free country. You can being continue. strawberry delicious. Oh, Christ. Look, no one can make you stop being strawberry. Strawberry. You're strawberry. Hold me salted caramel. I just think if you want to get right with the big ice cream in the sky, change your flavor by wishing to be vanilla. What if the big ice cream in the sky is chocolate? Blasphemy. Everyone should pretend to be vanilla until they no longer have the urge not to be vanilla. To be pistachio, I am pistachio. Hey, mint chocolate chip. Sorry, I'm late. I was busy being two awesome things at once. Cool. Uh, not cool. Pick a lane, butt stain. Vanilla's trying to convert us all again. That's nuts. No offense, nuts. Come on, vanilla. Nobody wants just one flavor of ice cream. <gasps> I do. Haven't you ever wanted to be in a Neapolitan? I I can't, I can't. Come on, it's natural. All natural cocoa. And strawberry fresh from the field. It's so creamy and delicious. Mmm. Mmm. Big ice cream in the sky, help me. It's good. It's like... Giddy up. Meet you at the bowl. Okay, so in other words, everything is natural except for heterosexuality, got it? That is the the bottom line is that all religious people are secretly repressed people who want to have orgies with members of the same sex, bisexuals, transgender people, and if they could just taste all the other flavors of the rainbow, everything would be wonderful. I love this idea that biology does not dictate heterosexuality, but it dictates that you are supposed to have sex with everything that moves. Okay, there is no scientific basis for anything that is in this video. This idea, like, I guess the idea is that everybody's sexuality is on a spectrum. First of all, here's what the science actually says about this. What it says is that female sexuality is more malleable based on environment and genetics. Male sexuality is a lot more binary. Okay, this is what the this is what every study ever done on sexuality has said. Men tend to be either very gay or very straight, and women tend to there is a spectrum of sexuality for women. Whatever. The bottom line is that when they say that the, that basically straight people are secretly gay, but you can't say that it's a gay person is secretly straight or has tendencies in that direction. Amazing how all this works. But again, it's just it's, it's propaganda. It's not science. Uh, and it's not even good, right? I mean, it ends with ice cream having sex with each other or something. I'm just confused. Ice cream doesn't have, just on a scientific basis, folks, ice cream does not have genitalia. Okay, and if it does, don't eat it because that's not ice cream. Okay, so uh, before we move on, 
I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at MacWeldon.com. So if you are looking for the best underwear, you're looking for the best sweatshirts, you're looking for the best comfortable wear, Mac Weldon is better than whatever you are currently wearing. MacWeldon.com, it's spelled M-A-C-K, Weldon, W-E-L-D-O-N.com. And you get 20% off when you use promo code Shapiro. It's S-H-A-P-I-R-O. They have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, so they get rid of the stench. Uh, they are really, really comfortable. As I said, I have a bunch of Mack Weldon underwear, and I threw out all the other underwear that I own because these are super duper comfortable, and they also hold up really well in the wash. They're not going to fall apart after after seven wears. Uh, MacWeldon.com, super comfortable. They also It's also really good-looking clothes. You can go over to their site, check it out. Socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, sweatpants, more than than you'll ever wear, but it's it's stuff that you can wear out because it's so good looking. Uh, in in many cases, MacWeldon.com. Use that promo code Shapiro. You get twenty percent off your first order at MacWeldon.com for daily wear. Okay. Meanwhile, in the non Bill Nye news, and I know we just spent a lot of time on Bill Nye, but that's because I think that this is used as propaganda by the left. Again, the idea. There's also something else here that that I think is worth noting on that idiotic ice cream video. The conflation of biology with morality is really stupid. The idea that we're all biologically built to have sex with everything, and therefore it's good. And anybody who says that it's bad is wrong. Okay, biology does not make things right. There are a lot of things that are biological that are not right. There are people who have te- – we all have a tendency. I have a tendency to be promiscuous because I am a male. I have a biological drive to have sex with many women. I'm extraordinarily monogamous because I have a religious belief and a moral belief that it would be cruel to my wife to cheat on her, and it would be really bad to cheat on my wife. It is immoral to do that. Okay, we have that as a society. That's a good thing that we have that as a society, even if morality is, is bucking biology. I mean, to, to quote the old movie, The African Queen with Catherine Hepburn and Humphrey Bogart, nature is, what we, is, nature, nature is in, in many ways what we are put here to rise above. The idea that nature is supposed to dictate your behavior uh, is really puerile and stupid, but it is also the basis of the left's political viewpoint. Okay, in other news, uh, Donald Trump is still pushing for the, the wall to be built. But it is not happening. It appears that he is now caving on the wall with regard to the budget. The Republicans are also putting together a health care plan. But if you want to hear about all of that, you'll have to go over to dailywire.com right now and subscribe. $8 a month will get you a subscription to dailywire.com. You can see the rest of the show live. You can be part of the mailbag, which we'll be doing tomorrow. Um, tomorrow's already Thursday, right? I mean, this week is moving quickly. So we will we'll be doing the mailbag tomorrow. And if you want to become an annual subscriber, you get a free copy of the Arroyo fictional film set on the southern border about why we need that Trump wall and why it's stupid that the Republicans aren't going to build that Trump wall. Dailywire.com to get that subscription. Or if you just want to listen later, go over to iTunes or SoundCloud. Check us out over there. Become I'm a subscriber at iTunes. We always appreciate you leaving a review. This is the largest conservative podcast in the United States. Okay, moving on to the politics of the day. So on the health care stuff, basically there's a proposal that is now coming out from Republicans to replace the Obamacare regime with something different. And the Obamacare repeal that's being proposed is now being signed off on by the House Freedom Caucus. And the the basic idea of it is that it's going to allow states to opt out of the federal regulations. So according to The Hill today, conservatives are starting to come on board because of a new amendment from Tom MacArthur and Mark Meadows that would allow states to apply for waivers to opt out of core Obamacare protection for people with pre-existing conditions, which conservatives say drives up premiums. So far, no moderates have moved from no to yes on the bill. And some centrists have said that MacArthur was not negotiating on their behalf. A lot of moderates are saying, no, 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 we need to cram down these federal provisions because if we allow states to get rid of the pre-existing conditions on, on the buying of health care, then a lot of people will be thrown off their health care. 
And so it's and, and then we will continue to provide federal subsidies or maybe we won't continue to provide federal subsidies to Medicaid. Bottom line is that Paul Ryan says that the amendment helps us to get to consensus, but he didn't say how close Republicans are to an actual majority. Dave Bratt, a very conservative member of Congress, the guy who replaced Eric Cantor, he says getting the prices and premiums down, that was the big deal. Club for Growth and Freedom Works have both said they would support the bill if the amendment were adopted. They had urged for a full repeal of Obamacare, but they praised the amendment as a good compromise. So here's my opinion on the amendment. It's better than what was there before, which was basically leave in place all federal regulations about the restrictions on insurance companies. But there is a bit of a problem. So the amendment allows states to apply for a waiver from the community rating requirement, which prevents insurers from charging premiums based on customers' health. If that were repealed, insurers would be allowed to charge people with pre-existing conditions much higher premiums due to their illnesses, putting coverage, quote-unquote, out of reach for many, according to The Hill. The amendment also allows states to apply for a waiver for Obamacare's essential health benefits. So basically, states can now get rid of the federal health regulations if they so choose. That is a step forward. There is one problem. Name the governor who is going to get rid of that provision now. What the governors are going to say is they're going to use the, the continued existence of Obamacare as an excuse to continue allowing Obamacare to go forward. They're going to say, listen, you know, it, it, if it were up to me, I'd get rid of all these restrictions. The prices would go down. It would all be great. But here's the problem. If we do that, then presumably a lot of our benefits are going to be cut under Medicaid, and we're not going to be able to cover all the people who are thrown off of their insurance who have pre-existing conditions. So the question is, who is actually going to opt out? See, there's a difference between an opt out and an opt in. States, the, the way the federal government is supposed to work is it's supposed to work as an opt-in. Okay? If you want to create Obamacare in your state, you have that prerogative. Massachusetts did it. But it should not be that the government creates an overall scheme and then you have the capacity to opt out. The difference being that now the, the goal of the politician is to throw responsibility on the federal government. Now they'll say, listen, yes, we were given the ability to opt out. But the problem is that if we opted out, the federal government is also killing the Medicaid reimbursement rates. They're, they're giving us block grants now. And so that means that a bunch of people would be thrown off their health insurance given the restrictions that are already on our ability to, to promulgate a free market health care system. We are just going to stick with the federal system, and if things go wrong, we'll blame the feds. In other words, you cannot have a federal health scheme that allows an opt-out as opposed to a federal health scheme that's freedom-based that allows an opt-in. So think about it in, in different terms. Let's assume that, for example, there's a federal law on the books with regard to wearing seatbelts. And the federal government has connected a lot of state highway funds to states picking up these laws and using these laws. Now, a state could theoretically say, listen, I don't want that seatbelt law. I think the seatbelt law is a violation of personal freedom. You know, it's not going to kill the person in the other car. It's just going to kill you. There's no real reason for you to be involved in that as the federal government. But I don't want to lose the money. And so it would really be stupid for us to lose the money. And sorry, guys, but it's sort of important that we take the money. That's why this isn't enough. Uh, and, uh, but it is a step in the right direction. If this bill went forward, it would be a major step in the right direction. We'll see if it goes forward at the, at the Senate level as well. Put to it, would I support this bill? Yeah, I would support this bill as a step toward greater freedom. But if this is the final step, then I don't think that it's enough. I think in the end, Obamacare has to be killed outright. I think that it can't have federal funding. I think that you can't bribe states. You have to get rid of the entire bribery scenario because the minute that a Democrat comes in, they're going to reinstate all the restrictions and kill the insurance companies outright, and then there will be calls for nationalization. So um, I think it's a step in the right direction. It is much better than what was being proposed several weeks ago. If this is what happens, this is not 
a triumph for Trump. It's a triumph for the House Freedom Caucus, which rejected a really crappy bill a month and a half ago and was ripped up and down by Trump. And now they're coming back with something better. Hopefully it goes forward because this is a much better version. Okay, as far as the Trump wall, Trump continues to maintain the wall is going to be built. But yesterday it came out that the budget he is requesting does not actually include the the funding for the Trump wall. So here's Trump yesterday awkwardly saying, yeah, we're still going to build the wall. We're just not going to do it right now. The wall's going to get built, folks. Just in case anybody has any question, the wall's going to get built, and the wall is going to stop drugs, and it's going to stop a lot of people from coming in that shouldn't be here, and it's going to have a huge effect on human trafficking, which is a tremendous problem in this world, a problem that nobody talks about, but it's a problem that's probably worse than any time in the history of this world. Human trafficking, what's going on, the wall is going to get built, and we're setting record numbers in terms of stopping people from coming in and stopping drugs from coming in. You see the numbers down 73, 74 percent. I will say Secretary Kelly, formerly General Kelly, is doing an incredible job. And I was just with him a little while ago, and he said, we definitely, desperately need the wall. And we're going to have the wall built. I mean, I don't know what people are talking. I watch these shows and the pundits in the morning. They don't know what they're talking about. The wall gets built 100 percent. Thank you very much. Okay, so is it really going to get built? Not with funding this go around. So this budget that he just caved on, I railed about this yesterday. The budget that he just caved on includes funding for Planned Parenthood. It includes funding for the Iran deal. It includes funding for refugee resettlement, sanctuary cities, and now Obamacare subsidies. It has defunded the border walls, this budget that he just caved on. Also, just as a point of fact, no, the human trafficking problem is not worse than it has ever been at any time in the history of the planet. There used to be something called the international slave trade. So no on that. Um, But this is the big problem, okay? So Trump's budget director, Mick Mulvaney, who used to be a very conservative member of Congress, now he's saying that he, he was saying this a couple of days ago, that he wanted to trade funding for Obamacare for funding for the border wall. I don't understand why you have to trade anything. You have a majority in both houses of Congress. What the hell are you talking about? But here's Mick Mulvaney saying, let's fund Obamacare, and then maybe they'll give us some funding for our border wall. Is there in that negotiation as you go into it that you will walk away from the table if you don't get? Is it the wall? Well, let's, let's, let's look at it this way and why this is a critical juncture, I think, not only in this administration, but in Washington, D.C. I've said before that the next four days will tell you a lot about the next four years. We've finally boiled this negotiation down to something that we want very badly that the Democrats really don't like, and that's the border wall. At the same time, there's something they want very badly that we don't like very much, which are these um, cost-sharing reductions, the Obamacare um, payments. Ordinarily, in a properly functioning Washington, D.C., as in any business, this would be the the, the basis upon which a negotiated resolution could be achieved. The question is, how much of our stuff do we have to get? How much of their stuff are they willing to uh, to take? And that's the way it should work. That's the way that we hope that it works. We'd offer them um, $1 of CSR payments for $1 of wall payments right now. That's the offer that we've, we've given to our Democrat colleagues. That should form the fundamental understanding that gets us to an, a bipartisan agreement. If the Democrats come back to us and say, look, we can't do that, we can do this, that's a really, really good sign, not only in the short term and the long term. If they simply walk away uh, and choose to not participate in the discussions, that's a bad sign, not only in the short term, but for the next. Okay, well, they are choosing to walk away because they have apparently all the leverage. Here's Chuck Schumer, the head of the Democratic Party in the Senate, talking about the, the wall. And he basically says, listen, we've got the upper hand. They're in the minority, guys. They're in the minority. And they're still dictating policy. Uh, Senator McConnell wanted me to negotiate the wall with President Trump. I said to him two things. First, it's not a negotiation. No wall. And second, I said, only you can persuade him that he shouldn't 
uh, do the wall because it'll cause a government shutdown. And I don't know if Senator McConnell played a, wor a role. If he did more power to him, if he didn't, I'm glad it worked out. Okay, so he's basically saying we're, we're not going to cave in any way, shape, or form. If he's not going to stand up now, I don't think he's going to stand up three months from now or six months from now. I don't see why he would. Uh, he, Rush Limbaugh is saying the same thing I'm saying, and Rush is a bigger fan of Trump than I am. Here's Rush saying it yesterday. It looks like from here, right here, right now, it looks like President Trump is caving on his demand for a measly $1 billion in the budget for his wall on the border with Mexico. The Democrats are threatening a government shutdown. It's the same old, same old. And I was hoping that Trump would throw this shutdown thing right back in their face and have everybody realize they're the ones engineering these shutdowns that nobody would notice anyway unless a big hullabaloo was made about it. The Democrats, <clears throat> excuse me, Democrats seem to have successfully used this stupid, silly threat of a government shutdown to get their way. What Trump is saying is if, if, if we need to get this done, then I'll, I'll, I'll delay the spending on the wall until September. And it's just a measly billion dollars. But that the problem here is, folks, is one of politics. If, if this happens, if, if Trump does, and I use the word cave regardingly, or guardedly, Trump, I'm sure, does not ever think he caves on anything. But outward, look, outward appearances are what they are. Rush is being as careful as he can in saying this, but the bottom line is that Trump did cave on this. Pretty obviously he caved on this. Uh, and I see no reason why he wouldn't cave in the future on budget deals. If he, he, This is the most united his party's ever going to be. So the idea that he's going to suddenly turn around and be captain strength on the border wall funding, I uh, don't see how that is going to happen. Okay, I also want to talk about a scandal that's breaking out at the White House. They're, they're just, they're, there are a couple things that are happening at the White House that are not so good. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. But first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Stamps.com. So we use Stamps.com here in the office because we don't want to deploy our forces down to the post office to wait in line to get those stamps and to weigh all the letters and to weigh all the packaging. Instead, we use stamps.com. If you go to stamps.com, enter Shapiro in the microphone search bar. You get a four-week trial with postage and digital scale. So they'll send you the digital scale so you can weigh everything yourself, and then they will give you the postage for four weeks for free if you go to Shapiro and put, go to stamps.com, put Shapiro in that microfo microphone search bar at the very top. Uh, it'll save you tons of time. You print it right onto the envelope, or you can print it onto a piece of paper and tape it to the envelope. You can print it onto a sticker and use that to put it on the envelope, but it means that you no longer have to wait in line and then you know, have to weigh all your postage and trek down to the post office and all of that. It saves you tons of time, and time is money, so it saves you money as well. Stamps.com, go over there, check it out. Shapiro in the microphone search bar. Great service. We use them at the office all the time. Okay, so a couple of other issues that have cropped up for the Trump administration. One is that Ivanka Trump is apparently now founding a new charity called the Hillary Clinton Global Initiative. Um, it's actually called, like, the Ivanka Trump Global Initiative or some such. And she's actually taking money from foreign governments for human rights, which sounds sort of familiar. Uh, this makes me rather uncomfortable. I don't think that the, the, the daughter of the president of the United States should be doing that, particularly not when she has security clearance and is sitting in his administration. It sets up exactly the same conflict of interest that the Clintons were facing. And if we're not hypocrites, we should be looking at that and saying, this is not a great idea. Other things that are not great, Michael Flynn, former national security advisor, it's now coming out that he did not follow the law when it came to revealing that he had taken a trip to Russia and taken money from the Russian government, apparently. Jason Chaffetz was asked whether Flynn followed the law, and he gave this very awkward answer. Yeah. From what you've seen so far, do you believe that 
Michael Flynn broke the law from either not disclosing it, these payments on his security clearance, or not getting permission for getting these uh, foreign payments? Uh, personally, I see no information or no data to support the notion that General Flynn complied with the law, and that is he was supposed to seek permission and receive permission from both the Secretary of State and the Secretary of the Army prior to traveling to Russia to not only accept that payment, to, but to engage in that activity. I see no evidence that he actually did that. So, and you think, Congressman, that this could be punishable to, for up to five years in prison, you said? I, yeah, I think it uh, definitely. That's why I uh, cited the code. But that's going to be left up to others to decide. I just wanted to know what his exposure is, but clearly, I agree with the chairman. I mean, he was supposed to re get permission, and he was supposed to report, and he didn't. Period. I mean, we, there's no evidence of it. We're, we're, we're not here to make the final right. determination. Right. What we're going to do jointly is send the letter to the, to the, uh, uh, the Department of the Army, the Comptroller specifically, as well as the Inspector General there. Uh, at the Department of Defense. This isn't good stuff. And then, as I mentioned yesterday, the White House has refused to turn over documents with regard to any connections between Flynn and the Russians and the Turks, and that's, that's not good. Reporters were grilling Sean Spicer about this yesterday. Again, this all could have been prevented. Everyone knew that Flynn was not somebody who should have been a member of the administration. Trump appointed them over everybody's, uh, everybody's deep dissent. Uh, this could have been avoided pretty easily. Here are reporters grilling Sean Spicer about Flynn. Why is the White House apparently stonewalling the Committee on Oversight and Government Reform on its request for some of the documents that should be in the White House's possession on Mr. Floyd. Uh, I will correct you on that. Um, the committee sent a form letter to several agencies, including the White House, asking to find those documents. The documents in question uh, the Department of Defense possessed and sent over to them. During the transition, the Trump transition has no custodial possession of any of these documents? Well, I would, again, that, but that's... That, that Lieutenant, I mean, the, that Flynn filled out as part of the process to become the President's National Security Advisor. I mean, no, no, be because the, the, there's an arm's length relationship. No, no, because there's, right, thanks. There's two, there's two issues. He had an SF-86, which is a security clearance form that was filled out during the Obama administration. He had a re-investigation uh, in 2016. That was done under the last administration. And again, those are, those are not... Um, documents that the White House would ever possess on any employee. But I also asked the question, does the White House believe that uh, Lieutenant General Flynn might have broken the law when he filled out SF-86? I, I don't. That that would be a question for him and, and, and a law enforcement agency, whether or not he filled. I don't know what he filled out and what he did or did not do. That all happened. Uh, he filled that form out prior to coming here, and so it would be up to the committee and other authorities to look at that. Okay, but again, it's the White House saying that they're not going to turn over anything after January 20th. So all of this is, is not a good look for the administration. Trump should be focusing in on policy. He, he should be being as cooperative as he can with this stuff. If Flynn made a mistake, Flynn should pay the price for it, not Trump. Uh, and it is a mistake for Trump to be misdirecting from policy toward you know stupidity like this or, or toward his his battles about trade. There's now uh, there's now a story today. We'll talk about this tomorrow probably. There's a story today that Trump is going to pull out a NAFTA in the next couple of days. It'd be an idiotic move. Uh, it would drive up prices pretty dramatically uh, on many of the basic goods and services that people enjoy here in the United States. But again, you know this this sort of swivel to his populist base was coming, and and the populist base wants more spending and wants more tariffs. None of that is great stuff. Okay, time for some things I like, things I hate, and then we'll do some Bible talk. So, things I like. We've been doing great composers, music that 
maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't, but a little bit less well-known than, than sort of their most famous work. Uh, today we're doing Mozart. Yesterday we did Bach, and then we did Beethoven on Monday. So today we'll do a little bit of Mozart. So this is Mozart's Flute and Harp Concerto and see the second movement, uh, and uh, it is a magnificent piece of music. Uh, it is uh, one of the most beautiful pieces of music ever written, but you know, not quite as famous as, as a lot of his more famous works, his operas and Eine Kleine Nacht music and stuff. So here's, here is uh, this, the second movement of his Flute and Harp Concerto in C. sheet music. Uh, great movie. One of my favorite movies. Top five movie for me is Amadeus. Great, great movie. Um, if you haven't seen it, you definitely should. Great meditation on God and man and music and art. It's just fantastic. Um, but this is a beautiful, beautiful piece. I made a mistake. Yesterday I said that Mozart died at 39. Of course, he died at 35, So, uh, which is even more tragic, obviously. Okay, other things that I like. So Donald Trump has been ripped up and down. Um, President Trump has been ripped up and down as some sort of supposed anti-Semite. Uh, and some of that is because he was catering to the alt-right during the election cycle. But there is really no evidence that Trump was ever anti-Israel or personally an anti-Semite. Yesterday he gave a statement on Israel and the Holocaust that was really first rate. Here was Trump yesterday. The state of Israel is an eternal monument to the undying strength of the Jewish people, the fervent dream that burned in the hearts of the oppressed is now filled with the breath of life, and the Star of David waves atop a great nation arisen from the desert. Those who deny the Holocaust are an accomplice to this horrible evil and will never be silent. We just won't. We will never, ever be silent in the face of evil again. The frog, Arden fans, hardest hit. Uh, <laughs> so uh, th there he is. Good for Trump for saying this. I wish he'd said all of this a lot earlier during the campaign, but obviously I don't think that he didn't believe that or anything. Okay, time for some things that I hate. So we could have labeled that entire Bill Nye segment at the top of the show, things I hate, but uh, here's another thing that I hate. So Nordstrom has decided they're going to put out these jeans, and these jeans are covered with fake mud. Uh, here's a picture of them. They are covered with fake mud, barracuda straight leg jeans. There's fake mud all over them. $425 for fake mud. Now, you may think that we are such a rich country that we actually have to have fake mud on our jeans. You can't just go out and take your regular crappy jeans and roll around in the mud and come up with this. Like when my jeans looked like this when I was a kid, they went directly into the washing machine. Now you actually pay for the privilege. It is a demonstration, though, that when a country becomes really wealthy, the, the rich people are so ashamed of their wealth that they start trying to dress like the poor people. 
And this has been something happening in the United States for a long time. I think there was a cultural shift in the 1930s and 40s. Watch all the movies. All the poor people were trying to dress in suits. Everybody was trying to dress up. You're trying to, the whole goal was to look like a rich person. You're supposed to dress nicer, not less nice. And then the 1960s, wealth is seen as some sort of curse. It's seen as something terrible. And now, if you're really cool, you're going to wear jeans. And now, if you're super cool in the 1990s, you're going to wear torn jeans, right? Not just like jeans that you have pay to have pre-torn. And you're going to wear shirts that are beat up deliberately that have holes in them because it shows that you're really cool and with it. So now the idea is, I mean, they make fun of it in Zoolander with uh, the derelict line, but this is the, the basic idea here. When a country aspires to looking like its poorest citizens, that's not great for the country. Uh, and it is also a demonstration that some people who are really rich need to get out and work a little bit in the garden or something because it, there, there's nothing, the, the idea that it is, there, there's some sort of inherent romance to having mud on your jeans, I guarantee you most of the people with mud on their jeans would be happier if there were not mud on their jeans, right? They'd be much happier being the kind of people who could afford $425 jeans with mud on them. So it's, 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 it's really kind of degrading, I think, for people who actually work for a living to see this sort of stuff being sold for $425. It's like fake poverty being sold to you so that you can look authentic. It's really stupid. Uh, of course, Nordstrom does sell every so often really stupid things. Last year, they had an $85 rock in a leather pouch. Seriously, it was an $85 rock in a leather pouch. Apparently, it sold out. Okay, other things that are really stupid. Um, so there's a Jefferson statue over at Columbia University, and naturally, naturally, they are now trying to claim that this is the legacy of a man who is the epitome of white supremacy. It's also the legacy of a man who wrote the Declaration of Independence, was the president of the United States, and was one of the fathers of American freedom, so there's that as well. This idea that only one part of his legacy matters, the fact that he was a slaveholder, Everybody at the time, or at least a huge percentage of people in the United States at a time, were pro-slavery or slaveholders themselves. Jefferson was honest enough to acknowledge the, the lie, the inherent lie in his own position. and didn't make him a, a great man with regard to slavery, but that is the complexity of history. And one of the things that annoys me is this idea that we're going to remove monuments that could actually be the spur to conversations about things like, why is it that human beings thought it was okay to enslave other human beings at the same time they were fighting for freedom from an overarching nationalist government in Britain? Why? Uh, it, you know, that would be a good question to ask. Instead, they've just decided that this thing has to come down. Apparently, the one of the groups there, uh, which is called the Mobilized African Diaspora, diaspora uh, they put a, a Klansman hood over Jefferson's head, which is just disgusting. Uh, just to, to pretend that he would have been a member of the Klan is ridiculous, or that Jefferson even would have held the same position that he held in 1860, that he held in 1780, uh, is really insulting to Jefferson. They say that it, venerating Thomas Jefferson validates rape, sexual violence, and racism on the campus. Anybody who thinks that people are looking at the statue of Thomas Jefferson and thinking to themselves, you know what, I'm going to go rape me some women, uh, is an idiot and should be called out as such. Okay, time for a little bit of Bible talk. So today's Bible talk, uh, we, we are in the, the Jewish section. The Jews read a different portion of the Bible every week. This week's portion comes from the book of Leviticus. And Leviticus is filled with weird things that people who are modern don't understand. It has lots of stuff about sexual purity. And it has lots of stuff about um, it has lots of stuff about like weird skin diseases and stuff. So I wanted to read a little bit of this because I want to demonstrate what it is that matters here uh, because it is weird. I mean, let's not pretend it's weird. Okay, so this is from Leviticus chapter thirteen, right? It says the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, "If a man has a seith, a sapachat, or a baharat on the skin of his flesh, and it forms a lesion of taharat, and I'm using the, the Hebrew terms here because there's no English equivalent on the skin of his flesh, he shall be brought to Aaron the Cohen or to one of his sons, the Kohanim, the priests. The priest shall look at the lesion on the skin of his flesh." 
flesh, and if hair in the lesion has turned white and the appearance of the lesion is deeper than the skin of his flesh, it is a lesion of Taharat. When the Kohen sees this, he shall pronounce him unclean. If it is a white Baharat on the skin of his flesh and its appearance is not deeper than the skin and its hair has not turned white, the Kohen shall quarantine the person with the lesion for seven days. So, Modern people look at this and they say, okay, this is a medical problem. Why is this in the Torah? Like, why is this in the Bible? Why is it important that God is talking about particular types of skin lesions? Why can't God just say, visit your dermatologist? Right? Why, why is this necessary to be there? So Jonathan Haidt has a wonderful book called The Righteous Mind. And what Jonathan Haidt points out is that there are tons of things that we do in everyday life that we take for granted that are based on a human need for standards of purity. Right? There's lots of stuff that you just won't do because you don't think that it is pure. Right, so he uses as an example there that there is um, so he uses as, this as an example in his book, if I remember correctly. There are certain cultures where it where people after their relatives die, they eat their the rel- the bodies of their relatives, and it's not that there's necessarily a health problem involved. Is that moral or is it not moral? And what he found is that today's modern college students, many of them will say, well, it's not immoral because what's the big problem? The person's dead already. But most people will still say that's immoral. Why? Because the human being is built to believe in this idea of purity. So what he suggests is the idea of purity is basically an extension of our natural disdain for things that are unclean because the unclean can make us sick, the unclean can kill us, and so we have disdain for that. But here's the thing. What religion does and what Judaism does here, what the Bible attempts to do, is it attempts to say things that are disgusting to you, things that you draw away from. The reason that you're drawing away from them is not just because they are inherently gross to you, you're not just drawing away from them because they're inherently gross. They're issues of morality. And, they, and by conflating the two, it's meant to make you a better human being. So in Jewish tradition, when it talks about when it talks about uh, Sahara, when it talks about the Tzara'at, rather, when it talks about this particular type of skin lesion, Jewish tradition suggests that it is linked to Lashon Hara, right? Meaning that if you speak badly about people, that the Torah is saying if you speak badly about people, that you are more likely to get Tzara'at, that, you are, that this, the punishment was basically... To, to get this sort of skin lesion, and they link it with the section of the Torah where, where Miriam is, speaks badly about Moses, she speaks badly to Moses, then she's hit with a skin lesion, and then Moses prays for her to be healed. The idea here is that by linking purity and morality, it's taking things out of the realm of the weird and cultic toward the idea that you are supposed to act morally, and that if you act morally, that you are less likely to have problems like this. Now, maybe that's true and maybe that's not in real life. We've never seen Saharat. It's not it's Saharat. It's not a actually leprosy. People tend to translate it as leprosy. It's not leprosy. Um, but because of all of this, the, the linkage of purity and morality, it's an attempt to take the innate nature of man, which is to shun that which is impure, and turn it into a moral question so that we can morally educate people off the basis of a psychological problem that they have with impurity. And that's actually a good thing. That's something that's good. Because the way the human psychology works, we tend to react emotionally about things, and then we make up an excuse for it later. So what the Torah says is the Torah says, yes, you're going to react emotionally to seeing somebody who has this sort of skin disease. But the way that we deal with that is we deal with that in a religious way to teach people that they should not act immorally. And then we say that what happens is that people are pronounced unclean, and then they are pronounced clean, right? So they go away. They are quarantined for a certain amount of time, and then they come back even if the skin lesion is still there, right? It says that the hair has not turned white. The Kohen quarantines the person with the lesion for seven days. After seven days, the person is declared clean. So this is also a way of reaccepting people who are considered impure because we don't want to shun people just because they have some sort of skin disease. So that's the idea here, is that we as a Western culture, we've decided purity and impurity don't matter. That is fundamentally violative of human nature. It is better to acknowledge that purity matters to us. And then if we want to be moral, use those 
questions of, of purity to teach morality, and that's what the Bible attempts to do, as opposed to just sort of making things weird and cultic and having untouchables and, and touchables, as they have in certain cultures around the world. Okay, so we will be back here tomorrow. Tomorrow is, is time for the mailbag, and we'll be discussing, we'll, we'll be doing all of that. Plus, I'll give you all the details on the on the health care amendment that is now being proposed. The House Freedom Caucus has now come out and endorsed the new health care plan. We'll talk about all of that, but we'll have to save that for tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. <laughs> We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.